0: Wow, beautiful uh, words to uh, end the Lord's Supper with. And uh, thank you so much for that beautiful song and reminder of the hope that we have and that we as Christians are known by our love. At this time, we'd like to invite the children of this congregation who don't want to sit through the long sermon, uh, ages two years old to second grade. At this time, if you'd like to go to the children's church, Shalene. We'll be offering an an incredible time uh, of singing and also Bible study. It's probably a lot more interesting than than me, Uh, so uh, enjoy that time. And uh, just to begin, uh, as we're walking out, a couple of announcements uh, for for the church here. Uh, September 6th, this Friday, is the one-year anniversary of a tragic thing that happened here in Dallas uh, the killing of Botham John I don't know if you guys remember the news uh, uh, Botham John was in his apartment complex And, and, and uh, he was shot in his, uh, in his apartment uh, And he was a member of the Dallas West Church of Christ uh, Down the street And, uh, and so on, this, on the 6th of September They're planning something special uh, For those that are interested And I think uh, those that want to At 10am at a nursing home in Oak Cliff uh, they're gonna, we're going to be singing for an hour because Botham John loved to sing, and one of his ministries was to elderly uh, homes. And so uh, there's going to be a group meeting of uh, different churches around Dallas at this nursing home at 10 a.m. on Friday. I'm going to be there. Jake, are you going to go? Jake's going to go. Uh, I'll be taking my car from the building, so if you want to ride with me, we can meet here at 9.30 so if you're interested in joining this, uh, this Friday with the Dallas West Church of Christ uh, to a nursing home to sing uh, for an hour, uh, talk to Jake or myself, and we'll coordinate with you uh, about how to do that. Second thing is this. You know, I love, I love the football season is here. And Mark Prude, will you raise your hand, Mark Prude? Where are you, Mark? All right. Oh, he, he, he knew I was preaching, so he left. Uh, before the sermon mark oh he 's doing the, the collection, uh, Mark Prude every football season gives Jake and I a schedule of the Dallas Cowboys, and what he does so thankfully for you football fans, he highlights all of the noon games. <laughs> so on those days, the sermon is expected to be short. <laughs> so here and you know, thankfully, the, the season doesn 't start till next sunday, jake so uh, and it 's not a, a highlighted game, so you can preach as long as you want. But uh, anyway, just, if, you, if you see Mark Prude, thank him for, for passing out this schedule <laughs> as well. And as Jake mentioned, next Sunday we're going to be starting this new series called Ten Words. And basically what we're going to be doing is looking at ten specific words that are in the New Testament, also a couple that are in the Old Testament, and really focus in. Sometimes we focus on entire books. Sometimes we focus in on chapters. Sometimes we focus in on verses. This particular series will focus on words. A whole sermon on a particular word that's used in scripture that talks about life. I mean, some of it is is about grace and hope and joy. One of them is sin. We're talking about these things. And so you'll be sure. I know it'll be an interesting, uh, definitely interesting sermon series then and there. The text today, though, is in Micah. uh, The Old Testament, the prophet Micah. And so if you have your Bibles today, we will be in in Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, we have uh, one of these uh, Bibles in front of the pew. And for this particular passage, it's on page 1,446. Page 1,446. And uh, we're not going to get there yet, but I'm just going to have your page, your your finger on that page, because I have a story to tell you before we get to the text. And I want to preface this story by saying this is a true story that actually happened. So a couple months ago, I went to AT&T because my, my cell phone was old, it was over two years, and they had a promotion. So I decided I was going to splurge because of the camera and get a nice new cell phone, iPhone X. I mean, the nicest cell phone that was there, and I thought I justified this purchase because it was a special deal. And also because of the camera, and I got kids, and I thought, well, this, I'll be thankful for this purchase because I'll have these great pictures of my children. So I was so happy for a couple of weeks. I went to academy to on a Sunday after church with my boys and uh, we were buying something and we were kind of in a rush and so as we were checking out, I accidentally put my phone on the counter and I paid for the, the goods. And then when it was time for me to go, I forgot my cell phone because I had all these kids and all this stuff and it just mistakenly, I forgot my cell phone and I didn't realize it until I got out outside and i went back in and there was no cell phone my cell phone was gone completely disappeared i thought don't worry there's honest people in this world they probably turned it in to the people at customer service so i went to customer service and i was like hey i left my cell phone not too long ago did anybody turn it in and they said oh i'm so sorry nothing has been turned in no cell phone at all has been turned in and i thought to myself there's cameras everywhere Maybe I didn't have that cell phone. You know, may- maybe it was in the car, maybe I left it somewhere else. Well, maybe they could go to the video and look and see if I had my cell phone. So I asked the manager, "Could you go do that?" So the manager went to the back, looked at the video. She comes back to me and she says, "Mr., sir, I've got good news and I've got bad news." I said, "Oh, man, this is great. Tell me tell me the good news." She said the good news is we got it all on camera. Everything. We see everything. Somebody took your phone. It was there. On the counter, a person took it and very precisely slipped it in the pocket and walked out. We have their face. We have their license plate number. We know exactly who it is. And I said, well, man, what's the, what's the bad news here? <laughs> we can't give it to you. I said, why can't we give it to you? He said, we can only give these videos to the police. She said, just go to the police station, talk to them, they'll send someone over, that police officer can help you out, get this video. So sure enough, I went to the police station, I waited in line a long time to talk to someone, finally got to the front, I said, I got my cell phone stolen, they need a policeman to come to Academy to get this, could you please go with me? And they said, we can't leave the station. And I said, well, what, what do you expect me, you know, what can I do? And they said, well, here's what you do, you go to Academy, call 911. 911. And then they'll send a, a police officer there, and then you can get what you need. So I go to Academy. I don't have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to borrow one of their phones. And I call 911, and uh, I tell them my situation. I go into detail and I, with urgency. And at the very end, the lady on the other line says, So what's your emergency, sir? <laughs> said, My cell phone was st- my cell phone was stolen. Someone has it. I just need a police officer to come here and get it. Sir, this is not an emergency. You cannot call 911 for a cell phone. And I was like, well, you, you know, your co-worker told me to do it. And so I had to leave. Uh, and I was disappointed because at that same point, I got this ping, so I knew exactly where it was. It was in this apartment complex. I knew the location. Academy knew the identity. All we needed to do was a, someone to help us Put the put the pieces together. So the next day, I thought I'm gonna go to the police station again. In between that time, the people from academy said all you need is an email address. You don't need a police officer to come to academy. If you just give us, you provide us an email address. All we need is that they'll send it to the email account. They can tell you who it is, and you can solve this crime. So I go to the police station. I wait in a long line. Finally, get to a detective, and I tell him all my scenario and said, Hey, could you please provide your email address so I can get you know my phone and the police officer listened real nice at the very end he said I like you (laughs) but this is your problem it's not my problem if I give you my email address then it becomes my problem and I don't want problems I don't want problems he said uh I'm really sorry I like you but this is the way it is we're busy we're we're stacked up I don't have time, and I can't help you on this. And we got to follow, follow the rules, and that's not part of the rules. So I was like, oh, man, I understand. You can't help me. It's my problem. I understand it's my problem. So I thought, I'm going to try one more time at Academy. So I go to Academy and talk to the manager, and I give my best persuasive preacher speech. <laughs> I said, are you going to let the lawyers win? Are you going to let – are we about people here, or are we about policy He said, you have the identity. I have the location. We can work together, and justice can be served. And she said, security. (laughs) No, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. She said, sir, I I like you. I like you. (laughs) Apparently, I'm a likable guy. I like you. But this is your problem. If I at all intervene... That I have at risk at losing my job and I don't want problems. This is a true story, and I don't have my I never got my cell phone by the way. <laughs> it's somewhere else. But what's the moral of this story, right? What's why do I tell this story? Well, it illustrates one well, two truths. The first truth is this we got problems. I got problems, we've all got problems. Everybody in this story had a problem And we couldn't work together, but we all have problems I mean, look to the person sitting to your left or to your right And just tell them the truth You've got major problems I mean, you seriously have got problems (laughs) Enjoy saying it too Some of these problems are big problems Some of these problems are small problems Some of them are big deals, some are small deals But we all have problems This is a truth that we all have problems I mean, ra- I mean, seriously, raise your hand if you have a problem We all have problems We live in a society In a world where we have Problems, things don't work out our way Things go wrong You know, sometimes these problems that we have We didn't cause, but we inherited But we have these problems So that's the first truth of this story We all have problems You've got problems, I've got problems Society has problems The second truth of that story is that no one really cares (laughs) about your problems. You know, I mean, if we're honest, no one really cares because they've got their own problems. The way that society is built, the way that the the, the fast-paced life that we have, people are so caught up to the things that they have to do that they don't really care about your problems. Unless it benefits them or it helps them, the default in society, the way that things go, the status quo, is that really your problems don't mean very much. I mean, the policeman, super nice guy, but my problem was not his problem. The person at Academy, super nice lady, but my problem was, is not her problem. I mean, these are two truths. We got problems, and the truth is, is that really nobody cares. I mean, this, the society that we live in, the default is a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, it's, it's the survival of the fittest. I mean, out there in the world, in society... We have our, 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 our purposes, but really we're going so fast that we don't have time to think about anybody else but ourselves. In fact, I remember one time I had lunch with Don Williams here at the church. You know, he, he, we go to lunch sometimes, and he has great words of wisdom. And I remember one time we were having lunch, and at the very end of our lunch, I was walking to my car, and he said, Joe Mark, wait, I got one more thing to tell you. So I go back, and, and Don <laughs> tells me this truth. This is so true. He says, I want you to know one more thing. He said, nobody is waking up in the morning and thinking to themselves, what can I do to help John Mark Davison today? I mean, nobody. Nobody is waking up and their first thought is, what can I do to bless John Mark today? What can I do to help him in his pursuits and his goals? I mean, Kavian, I love you, man, but nobody, nobody is waking up saying, how can I help Kavian today? But, but maybe you, right? Or I mean, I mean, seriously, uh, I mean, nobody is out there, out there waking up and thinking, "How can I help somebody else?" This is the truth. It's the dog eat dog world. But this is where Micah comes into play in the text that we have in Micah chapter six. Is that the biblical story? The story that we we read in Scripture. It presents another alternative. It presents another viewpoint where problems are seen and problems are heard, and the community is there working through it together. And there's, in fact, a word that we're going to talk about today that is a beautiful word that gives us a framework about, to talk about what our problems mean to other uh, people. And this is, this is why we are here, because we want a different vision. We want a different way. We want to grow in this, in this understanding where we can see others outside of ourself. Because we believe that God is pulling us all into a greater understanding of connectedness. So this is in the book of Micah. In the sixth chapter. In verse, <clears throat> verse 8. Well, we'll start in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? This is Micah chapter 6, verse 6. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, So here in this book of Micah, this is an Old Testament book in the prophets. And at this point in the story, Israel had become a very wealthy country. They had borders. They had a king. They had incredible riches. They had influence. And somehow during this rise to success, they had forgotten at the very core of what this society was about. They had forgotten to take care of those who were on the margins, those who were poor. In fact, they call it the quartet. Of the vulnerable. It's the widow, it's the orphan, it's the immigrant, and it's the poor. And time and time again in the prophets, in Micah and Amos, you see the prophets railing against the people of Israel for forgetting at the very true nature to take care of their brother and their sister. And so when there's instances where people were at at night were switching the lines of property to make their property bigger, there was lying, there was cheating, there were people who were wealthy taking advantage of those that were poor and in need. And Micah is livid. Micah is livid. And he explains some of the destruction of Israel. He he attributes it to this way of thinking of not taking care and not honoring God. And so in this passage, he says, Well, what do we do? What does God want? What does God want from us? Does he want burnt offerings? Does he want a thousand rams? Does he want my firstborn child? And what does Micah say? And this is one of the most compelling verses in the entire scripture. In verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Number one, to act justly. Number two, to love mercy. And number three, to walk humbly with your God. Three things that Micah talks about, summing it all together. Number one, to act justly. Number two, to love mercy. And number three, to walk humbly. Incredible words, justice, mercy, and humility. And today for this sermon, in light of my stolen cell phone, in light of the injustice that took place, I want to focus on what this word justice means in this particular text because if you deep down dig down deep into the meaning of this word in Micah it just opens up incredible wonders and possibilities of what it means for the community here and now you see the Hebrew word for justice in Micah chapter 6 verse 8 is a word called mishpat can you guys say mishpat You don't need to have your, you know, some Hebrew words. You need a, like that. This is just mishpat. Mishpat, man. Can you guys say it? And what does this word mean? This means, basically, it's justice. It is justice. But it also, it means fairness in a society where things are equal. In fact, it's used over 400 times in the Old Testament. And there's mainly two uses for this particular word. The first use is what's called a retributive use. And if you love to take notes, I have the words behind me, so you don't have to ask for the spelling. But the first usage of this word justice in in the Old Testament for mishpat is retributive. It's a retributive meaning, which means that it has to do with justice. It has to do with somebody doing a wrong thing and getting punished for that. It's equated with a courtroom or a judge And there are instances in the Old Testament where this word mishpat is used to talk about God's judgment on sin. Or God's judgment on things that are going wrong. And God being the judge of a certain wrongdoing or or a certain act. There is also a different meaning. And in the Old Testament mishpat is also used in the restorative sense. And in this meaning, mishpat is used not to describe something that happens in a courtroom, but something that happens outside of the courtroom. It talks about fairness. It talks about being just. It talks about a community where people are treated fairly and free to flourish. This is referring to a society where the least advantage of the society are taken care of, where we're making sure everyone is treated fairly it's outside of the courtroom setting And more in, in the rules and, and systems and norms Within a community of faith Well over 400 times in the Old Testament Mishpat is used 400 times it's, 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 it's used Well 9 out of 10 times 9 out of 10 of those 400 The term Mishpat Is used in the restorative sense So one out of ten times, yes, this idea of justice and judge, it is there. One out of ten times, it's there. But nine out of ten times, the dominating translation to this term is more of a fairness, a just society, where the least, the most vulnerable are taken care of. That is just. That is fair. God is described as this. The Israelites are called to be this. It's almost like the theory—have you heard about the theory of soccer? I'm sure you, I could give more information before you say yes or no. Like, there's a, there's a theory in soccer that says that a team is as good as the worst player. It's not like basketball. Like basketball, there's only five on there. And so basically, whichever team has the best player is the team that typically goes the farthest. That's why LeBron James is pretty much always in the NBA Finals. Because he's the best player in the league. And because he's on a team, it doesn't matter who the other players are. As long as he's there, the best player, he carries the team with them to the finals. That's the way that basketball usually works. But soccer has a different theory. In soccer, and I'll be curious if this is the same for American football, but the idea is, is that a team is good based upon the worst player. So the, the wor- the, this is a, hard to say, but the better the worst player is, the better the team is. You guys got that? <laughs> the level of the worst player on the soccer team determines how successful the team will be. It's an interesting theory about soccer, but that, in that sense, is what mishpat is making sure that a society is doing. We're taking care of those that are on the outskirts, taking care of those that are vulnerable, making sure that things are fair, that those that have problems are being seen. And you know, I was reading about this word mishpat, And a definition came to, on the pages, that I almost jumped out of my chair because of what this experience I had with the cell phone. (laughs) One of the definitions of mishpat is when my problem becomes your problem. Mishpat means to make other people's problem your problem. To make other people's, let's let's let that sink in a little bit. Because it's a deep concept. To make other people's problems your problem. That is what mishpat is talking about. Seek mishpat. Love mercy. Walk humbly. This is talking about in society where we see each other, where we recognize the connectedness of it all. So two things about this particular word as we let it sink in and talk about the implications for the Skillman Church of Christ. The first is this. That Mishpat reminds us that Nimbyism is a myth. Nimbyism is a myth. And I was talking to Kavian yesterday. Kavian, what does Nimbyism mean again? Nimbyism is not in my backyard. It's almost like if it's not in my backyard, it's not my problem. Nimbyism is a myth because Mishpat tells us it's the idea that we are all connected We are all created from the same God with the same spirit So in this complex world that we have a problem that your neighbor has Is really a problem that you have not in my backyard Nimbyism is a myth that we're all connected Let me tell you what happened with this cell phone story too Because as I was trying to get my cell phone I was spending a lot of time in the police station talking to police officers. I I ran across all these people who had problems just like me but they were bigger than me. Uh, You know for example an Ethiopian immigrant was there and her car got hit by a hit and run and she didn't know what to do. She didn't speak any English and she was there trying to figure out what to do and file a report on a hit and run. There was uh, a, a conversation I had with the police off. Well, today another story. I was here at the church late Monday night, and there was a, a, a family here with their kids at 9 o'clock at night. And so I, they were from uh, from Mexico, I think, and uh, they didn't speak much English. And so I asked them, well, what, what happened? And they said their car, they were working at the church, and their car got stolen. And they had called the police, but the police hadn't come yet. So I called the police and said, hey, you know, they spoke, didn't speak English. But, you know, maybe there was a miscommunication. They said, no, no, no. Uh, we're, we're sending our police officer as soon as he can get here. But it had been five hours since they had called. Uh, five hours since they had called before the police could come. I and mean, this is, my small cell phone is nothing compared to a car, right? And then I talked to the, a police uh, man, and they tell me that, man, they are overworked. I mean, they aren't getting paid enough, these police officers. And it's a dangerous job where they don't have respect. In fact, I was talking to, to Marcus out here, and he said every one of his Uh, And his class, those that were graduated with him Most of them have quit the police force And started selling insurance Because they couldn't take it anymore I mean, do you see Once you step into this That it's all connected The problems are connected It's a bigger problem That nimbyism is a myth That we are all connected That we all have something at stake With these things that are happening That we are all together in this That it's a societal problem that we also own I mean, this means that what's happening in Odessa with the shooting, that's our problem. What's happening in the Amazon with the fires, it's our problem. What's happening, we as humans, a problem to another human is a problem to us. That's what Mishpat is talking about, is that we make other people's problems our own problem. But, you know, let's take it closer to home because we can't do much about in the Amazon, right? We, We don't live in Odessa, so we can't do much there. But we can do stuff here within this church. I think Ken Teague put it best in his communion talk when he said, "Mishpat, this idea, is that like that song in Toy Story? You've got a friend in me. I've got problems. You've got problems. But we're going to work on it together in community. And that is what we strive to do here at this church, and what God is calling us to do through this term of mishpat, is that we in this family, in this church. We make our own problems We make your problems my problems and my problems your problems we take care of each other I mean Paul talks about this in in Galatians when he says carry each other's burdens Carry each other's burdens I mean this doesn't mean that we need to solve all the problems or take It doesn't mean that we take away the pain But what this means is that we make a commitment as a church to the person to your left and to the right Who has Problems that we commit to stand beside them on that journey and point them to Jesus throughout the journey. Because we are connected, we take care of each other. Because we are connected, we acknowledge the problems within our tribe. Because we are connected, we witness and create a space for each other. This is Mishpat. And this is what we can do here and now among us, among each other. Take care and see each other through our problems. In the past couple weeks I've had some really really difficult conversations with people in this church there's a a guy who called me and said that he and his wife have had hard times um, having having children and that over the summer they've had two uh, miscarriages and this is so hard it's difficult and when you are in mishpat in a community where you see each other, that type of news hits to the very heart that we're in this together, that they are not alone on this journey. Or another friend who had uh, cancer in, in the breast, breast cancer, and when they had the surgery to try to take it all off, they found more cancer in the lymph nodes. So the journey is still going on. And in this Is where we come together with people like that who need someone to walk beside them That is what mishpat is and we as a church are called to be there for people like that It's who we can be to seek mishpat to love mercy and to walk humbly And here's the good news the good news is this Is that in scripture in the old testament God, time and time again is referred to as the God of Mishpat. In Psalms 146, I'm gonna this is an incredible story. If you guys would close your eyes as I read this about God, God is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He is the God of Mishpat, who holds the cause of the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. That is our God. And our ultimate friend is Jesus. And the ultimate example of this is when Jesus came and he offered himself on the cross as our mishpat, as that justice to seek, seeking justice on our behalf. Each Sunday, we offer an invitation. And that is the invitation that we offer this church in today. Number one, can we live in this mishpat, this sense of mishpat, where your problems are my problems? And I want you to know today, if you have problems, you're not alone. And you are seen. You are with people who equally have problems, but we are there for you, to walk beside you on the journey and point you to Jesus. If you have any interest at all in being baptized, I'll be up here uh, to talk to you about that. The elders will be on the side of the room if you have any prayers whatsoever. Why don't we come and sing to the God of Mishpat together with all of our hearts and minds. Why don't you come while together we stand and we sing.